Hello and welcome back to the latest Tink Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Today I talk to Stephen McNulty, founder and CEO of Irish environmental startup Ambisense. Stephen talks about combining the Internet of Things with analytics to drive critical decision making and helps protect people and our planet. So I'm joined today by Stephen McNulty, CEO and co-founder of Ambisense, an Irish Internet of Things and AI analytics business focused on monitoring environmental risks, including risks from climate change and COVID-19. You're very welcome, Stephen. Thanks, John. Nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, before we began, I started ranting about all these different, this list, the industry that's kind of cropped up around the environment. Now, I am very much about climate action and very into sustainability. But I, I keep thinking an industry has kind of cropped up around the whole environmental area and whole environmental aspect, telling companies and organisations what they should have done 30 or 40 years ago. Um, but they probably were told that then too, but they didn't listen. Well, here we are now. We are where we are. Um, but when I look at what you guys do in terms of technology, but then also the 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 environmental impact of what you do or the, the you know, is are you are you a circular economy company or are you a tech company? Yeah, great, great question uh, to get to get started with. So no, we're very much a tech company. Um, we build products. So the environmental risk management market, which is which is our market, has traditionally been a very consulting led business. And the reason for that would be, you know, consultants' role is to, I guess, deal with complexity mm. and measuring things in the environment, whether it's you know air pollutants or water pollutants has historically been a very difficult thing to do in the field. So you've got to take data and bring it to a lab. Um, and so what you, what you, what into the breach steps consultants who have very little data and a lot of expertise, and they bring that to bear in terms of um, providing advice to, to clients. And I guess Ambisense mission is to, is to augment that with technology because effectively now through, you know, better sensor technology, better analytical tools, the IOT revolution, it's now possible to get data from from the field and do something with that information. So we're definitely building a product business, which has trying to find homes in different parts of the kind of macro environmental risk management uh, risk management industry. So we're definitely a product business, and there I would say by extension, definitely a tech business. And when you say data, tell tell me about the data you gather and what people can do with that data. Like, let's just say I'm a big tech company or a big manufacturer and I, I'm talking to you guys and I, I want the data that you're gathering, capable of gathering, and I want to put it to some kind of productive use and I want to, you know, lower my, maybe lower my carbon footprint or other other aspects of what I do. Yeah, so I'll give you, I'll give you a COVID version of that, which maybe might be quite topical. But so we'd be, we'd be big believers in the, um, in the system of intelligence approach to product design. In other words, the value you can create comes from taking data from multiple different sources and baking that data together so that you actually understand in depth the problem that you're looking at. And then you can kind of figure out mm. what you might want to, what, what you can do about it. So, um, one of the issues that we're all aware of from a, from a COVID perspective is um, the importance of ventilation. Mm. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, ventilation became hugely significant, whether it was kids in schools, universities, or now you know people returning to the office. You know, the quality of the air that we breathe, uh, you know, is, is now a factor of um, uh, in, in parts of the industry that it frankly wasn't there, you know, even a year ago. So. 
we have built a, a couple of offerings in that market. But I guess that the opportunity comes from um, if you're a big company, a big uh, a big commercial, um, uh, you know, say tech business that has staff, you know, in in offices. Like prior to COVID nineteen, your ESG or your climate objectives were really to get your building to net zero, mm. right? And buildings have a huge carbon imp- imp- impact. And quite obviously, a lot of that comes from taking fresh air in and heating it or cooling it because it's a huge energy um, a commitment to heat or cool air down, right? Mm. But what they would do is they would then pump that air around the building all day long. Um, and when COVID happened, um, that ability to pump recirculated air just was immediately not possible because the virus particles were just going through the air through the cycle. I mean, that's why we had all these outbreaks in meat plants and in schools in Israel. It was literally just because of the recycling, you know, virus-laden air. So all of a sudden what you've got now is, I would say, post-pandemic, if I can be that ambitious, but you've now got companies with, with dual objectives, right? So A, they've got to get their um, net, still get their buildings to net zero, but B, they've got to make sure that they're pumping sufficient fresh air into a building to keep people safe. So from a kind of a system of intelligence perspective, what we do is look at problems like that and say, how can we create a create some some data which might be well we've got very granular ways of assessing air quality say in meeting rooms but if we can then dial in other sources of data which is well what's the outside air doing what kind of occupancy and utilization are we getting in that room by baking those two data sets together we can come up with the optimal way to both deliver good ventilation and also to make sure that people are not bringing in fresh air heating it all the time and you know massively increasing the carbon uh, output of their buildings so mm. so that's an example of kind of the kind of problem that we like to try and solve which is to say there's a lot of complexity in managing environmental risk there's a lot of stakeholders there's a lot of sometimes um you know, diametrically opposing objectives like put more fresh air in and also you know reduce energy consumption and in there there's the opportunity to create products and services that take advantage of that complexity and that's kind of what we're setting out to do in the industry in a broad sense. And, and like if say I'm, 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 I have a building, uh, do you guys provide then the sensors and the, the software then to analyze all the activity? And Exactly. And we try to take it a bit further and say, look, you know, we've got a, we've got a huge project going on in the UK at the <clears> moment <throat> where, you know, we're looking at the, um, uh, the estate of a huge financial institution with a partner we have in the UK. And they've asked to kind of come in and assess ventilation um, uh, quality around this huge um, uh, operation in the UK. And actually what we found is when, in doing that, we found, look, you've got pockets of kind of localised air quality issues in meeting rooms, staff rooms, conference rooms, but generally your ventilation levels are very, very good. Mm. So without that level of granular information, they probably would have embarked on some fairly severe engineering to try and, you know, deal with, uh, to bring in a lot more fresh air than they ultimately, they, they ultimately uh, need to do. So, so that, that, I guess that, 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 again, those are the type of solutions where we think there's a lot of value. So some of it is sensors, uh, some of it is analytics, and then some of it is what other data sets can we gather? And if we bring them all together, then how can we kind of understand what's happening in these fairly complex environments uh, using, using data science and machine learning? And you know the term ESG has has come into the corporate lexicon and very much environmental social governance. Do you do you help play into kind of making that something tangible? Because you know it's used a lot, it's bounced around a lot. Everyone nods when they hear it. But the thing is, 
how do you put that into kind of some kind of workable uh, format where you're actually saying, well, this is actually these are results, or these this is this is this is a problem we have sight of. How do you how do you make that something tangible? And is that where Ambisense comes in? Yeah, it it it, it is. Uh, I mean, I, I guess in most parts of our industry. Um, there are specific limits. So mm. uh, if you run a major infrastructure project, there are water quality limits you can't breach. There are air quality limits you can't breach. So it's a, it is a compliance driven industry. Uh, and I guess what we deliver is kind of the ability to kind of influence that level of compliance. Mm. Um, so the industry went before I started um, and, and in, 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 in a huge sway to the industry, you know, people measure things, send it to a lab, find out there's a problem, and then really don't know, have any idea what to do about that problem because they have one data source that was maybe captured two weeks ago by the time the lab got around to analyzing it. So what we're very much about is kind of moving the needle from reacting to environmental pollution to pre predicting it in real time and therefore preventing it. And so from an ESG perspective, people are reporting their environmental performance. And if we can then tangibly do something about that environmental performance, uh, you know, then then we can uh, we can directly have an impact on that. Mm. Um, I think it's fair to say, though, many multinational corporations are still trying to figure their way out around this. Right? They don't have clear strategies. Some do, um, but some but some don't, and and some see it as a minefield, and some see it as an opportunity to reshape the business. But I think everyone's on a everyone's on a treadmill to get to the same place, mm. which is where we get excited. Which is that you know th th this decade demands. Uh, significant change in how we um, how we operate, and that does mean moving from reacting to pollution events to being able to prevent them from happening. Um, and that's where products can be particularly good if you can get that that data and put that data to work. Mm. And, and tell me about the Ambisense story. Uh, I, my notes tell me here that you've twenty people and you're in offices in three different countries: Ireland, the UK, and the Netherlands. Where did you guys come out of? Where 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 where, where do you? What's the origin story here? Yeah, so it's one of those kind of one to seven, eight year overnight success stories, right? So. Uh, <laughs> So the, the business originated from DCU. Um, so I had worked in the sector. Um, I kind of worked as a commercial director in a big environmental testing lab. And my job was to sell laboratory tests to consultants, right? But I was never really an insider in that industry because I was an engineer by background. I wasn't a scientist, nor was I a consultant. So I kind of was sitting out there going, I can kind of see what these guys need and I can kind of see what these guys can offer. And I don't think anybody's really getting what they need. And then I was probably your stereotypical kind of founder person. And I was also, you know, probably a pain in the backside as an, as an employee, right? Because I was one of those people who just never happy and why can't we do this? And surely it's all a revolution, right? You know? Mm. Um, and so I went, I went to, to D, I went to do an MBA and at the end of the MBA was kind of, no, I need to go and do something for myself. And then was just very lucky to meet a, a, a research team with a really great technology. And back in 2013, it was a sensor and a modem and a, you know, a, a processor uh, all in a box, right? Hmm. And that seems quite um, quaint now. And it, but at the time, it was quite a revolutionary. And they managed to create a product opportunity with that technology and prove that people would buy that. And look, it was very early days. So it kind of was one of those things where it was – you know, wanted to go do something, saw that there was a gap in the market for products and data, and then found a vehicle to kind of bring that to market 
through a technology in, 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 that started in DCU. And then, of course, since then, we've kind of built on and up from there. But that's the origin story, I think, just being in the industry, but being a bit of an outsider and then maybe having that kind of desire to kind of, you know, do something myself and see see how I get on. Your technology now is very much of its time. And uh, from, from I suppose, being the mouthy employee who was not happy with everything, suddenly now you're running the company, you're the, you're the employer. And, uh, you know, in terms of the vision for the company, as I said, it's very much of its time. Where, where do you see it uh, going from the point of view? You're 20 people on three different countries uh, I would be fair to assume you're going into a scale-up phase now. That that's certainly the technologies of its time. Every business is monitored. You know, what's the word term? Uh, what what gets measured gets managed. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, we are right. I mean, I think anybody. I mean, anybody in the clean techs. I think I think we're kind of on the precipice of a number of um, of factors that are now coming coming of age. Right. So the first was the first is IoT. Right. So. I mean, I remember looking at this whole IoT sector and it was on the wrong side of the hype curve. Um, you know, and so it's went through that phase of kind of, God, this isn't really as good as we thought it was going to be. And, and now it's kind of, now it's back up again. And I saw a report from McKinsey uh, about two weeks ago saying, now is the time for IoT. It really, really is, right? So let's hope mm. they're right this time. Mm. Um, then we're also on the on the wave of kind of, I would say generation two clean tech. So generation one clean tech was very much capital intensive technologies like wave power, things like that, that were super high risk technologies, but you know, were very uh were not proven. And I think a lot of investors got burned in in generation one clean tech. So when we started to raise money in 2015, you know, we never used the word clean tech at all because it was really not something that anybody wanted to invest in. Hmm. Uh, we certainly use the word, you know, environmental, but we definitely stayed away from clean, stayed away from the word clean tech. But certainly now that's completely different, right? And you know, we would get a phenomenal number of inbound investor leads, uh, you know, five to six a week. Series, and I and I and these people know nothing about the company, so it's nothing to do with us. It's literally just people think that this sector is a sector where people need to have some activity because of the, because of its importance to society. And now you have these underlying. Uh, technology trends that are kind of driving, you know, the the market uh, in many ways. So what we see is the the bigger opportunity is that the market for environmental risk is worth about fifty billion dollars a year, and so at the moment a lot of that work, a lot of that market share is taken by consultants who who are mostly our customers. Mm. Um, and that's because there's a lot of complexity and a lot of process. And, that, and that's that's some of that narrative I'm talking about because like every management consultancy on the planet is is definitely focused on ESG, but they also have to kind of come up with some kind of workable solution for their clients. So it's not point saying, oh, you've got a problem here, you need to reduce your carbon footprint by 30%. They just say, here's how you're going to do it. And this is where you guys come in, right? Exactly. And so and so we, we think that, you know, as the market grows and it will expand to a huge degree, uh, just purely given the focus on on climate mm. change, right? Then, then what happens is parts of that market that were service-driven can become product driven and mm. that can happen if the technology is capable so the sensors are frankly good enough and the product offering around that becomes mature enough to, to actually provide a service uh, you know a value to a client and then there's an appetite for a transition from services to products which there definitely are so where we are hoping to get to is there are still not too many companies focusing in on a broad suite of product plays in this market 
And then our goal is that over the next kind of five years that we can build a global presence, not, not in, in all aspects of the market at all, but where we can pick spe- sectors like indoor air quality, flooding, you know, parts of the markets that we are active in and go, actually, do you know what? There's actually a gap and that gap needs to be filled by a product. And if that product is in there, well, then it does fulfill that exact, you know, exa- example you gave where people can say, not just this is what, this, sorry, this is the thing you need to hit, but this is actually the way to do it. This is what the data tells us. So that's our objective, I guess, is to realise that that opportunity, right? And to get there, like, I mean, at the moment you're 20 people. Um, if you if you are indeed talking to a lot of these management consultancies you cons- who are asking for a lot more solutions, you're going to have to ramp up um, and scale up, uh, I suppose, one in a sense, um, the amount of people, but also the amount of devices as much as anything else. Tell, tell us about what your plans are to scale, to, to, to reach that, to achieve that need or meet that need. Yeah, so I, I guess one thing we, we, we do is we, we kind of say we're not a device company, right? We're a, we're a, we're a I, I guess, a, um, a, a solution uh, company. So half of the solution we provide is data, but that data can come from our devices or it can come from others or, in, or it typically comes from, from both. Hmm. So we're not really... We're not really held back by our ability to put devices in the field. We typically come come at problems and say, well, how can we use data that's already available? And if there's a gap to, to, to fill that, then, then we will definitely fill that. Hmm. So, so w- one aspect of scale up is kind of uh, t- getting more value out of the data than out of devices, quite frankly. Hmm. The second aspect of scale up is to go, well, where are there global markets? So actually, we don't have to come up with a new solution every time we want to, you know, we want to build something. So we found, as I said, two or three, well, three core markets where there there is a product opportunity. And so scale up for us will, will be a function of kind of, you know, driving scale through the, through the existing set of products we have, not necessarily, you know, looking to develop a whole range of other products because we've been very careful about looking at the sectors that we're in and trying to maximise our, you know, our share of market in those sectors. Gotcha. And and I suppose that's the thing. Do you, do you need to raise more money now to to do that? Do you take it on um, venture capital, or do you think you you're currently invested enough to kind of continue on your own steam? Yeah. So we're de- we're de- we're definitely in, uh, invested enough for, for, for the moment. We have um, we have a number of investors. Um, uh, Atlantic Bridge would have been our, our original institutional investor. Got us kind of up and running from an institutional perspective. Uh, we have Sure Valley, um, who've been really, really great since they came in in 2019, very helpful to us. And then we did a, a round last year led by BGF, uh, who would have really strong links around the industry, around or around lots of different industries. So we have to, we have, we, we're, we're certainly invested enough for the time being. Um, because we build products, we tend to have fairly good gross margin in those products, which means that we can kind of reinvest our 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 our, um, our revenues in our in R and D. So at the moment, our plan is to kind of scale up in this current phase, but then we definitely would remain kind of opportunistic to scale up beyond that. I mean, we're not going to capitalize on the entirety of the opportunity set through organic growth, and uh, you know, it, 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 um, alone. Uh, and there are lots of opportunities to partner with to companies, to acquire companies, to kind of build up the mm. portfolio in time. But I guess for us, it's kind of, you know, it's your typical kind of, right, we've raised, we raised some money last year. We're now scaling revenues around that. And then when we get to that phase, you know, probably later this year, we make a call as to say, 
um, you know, should we go and raise additional funds or should we carry on on our own steam? But the other piece which is probably relevant as well is it's actually a great space to be kind of looking for grants from the EU, from European Space Agency. There is lots and lots of money that people are trying to put away to help solve climate problems. Mm. That's also a major part of our focus as well as we look to see, well, look, outside of, you know, VC investment, what can we do through competitions, through bids, through partners to try and, you know, access the market in that way, perhaps. And uh, I suppose then a question that came to my head, mind there was you mentioned there, you know, some of the stuff you monitor is flooding. Tell me, tell me about some of the unusual uh, applications of your technology, the kind of things you had to monitor that, you know, probably have brought you to, you know, you know, you say you say a lot of it is data, but you may have had to kind of go and kind of crunch that data in, in very unusual places. Yeah, so I guess the flooding one is a so the flooding is is, is an opportunist an opportunity. Sorry that we we uh, we 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 got in twenty twenty right in the middle of the pandemic. Right, we basically we basically uh, um, uh, got gotten a technology which we were using to look at sewer flooding. Uh, sewer flooding in the UK is a serious health and safety issue but it's also one that costs the water companies in the UK a huge amount of money in terms mm. of fines off what. And we got that technology and built a, built a pilot and then realized that the actual market dynamics were probably not great for us because most of the water companies have their own um, data science and analytics team. But actually we got wind of another opportunity to use that technology in the flood defense industry, which mm. is basically an industry that, monitors the capability of flood defense assets to deal with um sudden uh flooding events so you know river breaching it breaching its banks and without getting into too specifics because it's still somewhat stealth for the time being we effectively uncovered the fact that there was a huge opportunity to build a suite of technologies that could help manage the efficiency and uh, of flood defenses themselves and try and understand whether or not those defences were likely to fail, and if they would fail, when they would fail. And so something that kind of, it was an opportunity that came to us to have a look at, but once we got in there, it was one of those kind of ones where you go, is there really nothing else that can do that job? And why is there nothing else that can do that job? And it's a real climate change story, because effectively, um, the assets are all quite old, right? Um, yeah. But because they're quite old, they've been monitored, by visual inspection for 30, 40 years. And if nothing was changing in the macro environment, well, that, that would just continue. But these asset owners, whether they're, you know, people who man looking at retaining walls or cracks in seawalls or, you know, earthen embankments that stop a river from flooding, what they don't have any confidence on is what's going to happen in the next two to five years because sea levels will rise uh, extreme weather events are increasing. Mm. And so into that mix creates huge uncertainty. And so I think when I, when I look back and go, where are the kind of some of the, some of the weird and wonderful places that we've been monitoring, it's kind of assets like those that we, we, we didn't set out to actually uh, tackle. We just kind of uncovered an industry and we're like, my God, how can we possibly expect to, you know, keep homes, communities and businesses safe from flooding when the very structures they rely on we're never designed to deal with what climate change is going to, um, what climate change pose. And I guess maybe that's a, a, a way to kind of maybe, uh, as we scale up, we imagine we'll find other sectors like that, right? Where 
you know, a lot of a lot of critical infrastructure just was never designed for, you know, climate change and extreme weather events. And it's too expensive, both from a budgetary and a carbon perspective, to rebuild everything. And you certainly can't do it at the speed you need to. And so into that gap creates a product opportunity, which, as I said, we're hoping to fill. And there you have it, Irish technology that could eventually keep people safe in term times of flood and climate change. So you're very, very, very grateful for that time, Stephen, and a great interview. So thanks so much. No problem, John. Great. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity.